Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. <clears throat> Love Talk Radio. Listening to the Hollywood Boulevard podcast, hosted by Jonathan Moody and Donnie Sturgis. Hey, hey, hey cinephiles! This is uh, Donnie Sturgis, um, along with Jonathan A. Moody. Uh, we are uh, two crazy guys hosting the Hollywood Boulevard podcast um, on Blog Talk Radio. Uh, with us tonight, we have uh, our producer Sierra Holmes, and we have a special guest, Alfred Crane, who's also going to be uh, here with us tonight. And uh, tonight we're talking about uh, John Carpenter and uh, the films of John Carpenter. Um, so I guess uh, without further ado, we'll dive in. Um, does, anybody, does anybody have anything like they want to say uh, just first off about John Carpenter? Because like, I'm, I'm a huge fan. I, I've, I've seen almost all of his movies, and I, and I, I find him to be one of my favorites, uh, favorite directors. Um, but I also uh, I understand that he's a he's the type of director that uh, not everybody gets, and some people only like a couple of his films, like the more commercial ones, and some don't. So, but uh, I'm curious as to like um, Sierra, Alfred, either one of you guys want to chime in, like like uh, where like where do you where do you um like what where's John Carpenter on your radar? Like how do you feel about John Carpenter as a director? Um, this is Alfred. Um, I just wanted to say live from Antonio Bay. Um, uh, homage to the fog, which is a great film, <laughs> and Adrian oh, um, Barbeau, and and I love to how he used Tom Atkins as a pretty good character actor. He just kind of showed up as kind of a tough guy, kind of like he he always kind of has those bugs. But I would have to say my first memory of John Carpenter is watching The Thing. I was 12 years old, and my dad was deployed to Korea, and my mom and I were up watching it. Why she let me watch it? Under her supervision, I don't know. But as soon as and the movie's great, I mean, I could talk a whole hour about it. But the the part where the guy's chest cavity <laughs> opens up, where he's about to do the magic paddles, that was it. We turned oh, yeah. it off after that, and it was about a number of years before I went back to watch it, which which has turned out to be one of my favorite films of all time. It's in my top ten, mm-hmm. definitely. <clears throat> yeah, and uh, I also I really like them. They live. Um, Especially, you know, with Roddy Piper. I thought that was a really great movie. Oh, yeah. Fantastic film. Yeah. And I, 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 um, he likes to work with Kurt Russell a lot. Do you guys notice that? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, him and Kurt Russell are really big friends. Um, yeah. Uh, Kurt Russell and him are very, very big friends. Um, they've been friends for a long, long time, and, and you know, not so much anymore. But uh, back in the early days especially, he would use Kurt Russell a lot in his films. In fact, I think he's – 
I think he uses him the most out of everybody, uh, or almost the most. I think there's one other actor, like a like a smaller actor that I that I don't know too well that he's used maybe more. Well, I think Charles Cyphers probably wins, you know, yeah. as far as uh, you know, as far as John Carpenter, because I noticed that like in the early early John Carpenter films, going back from um, Assault the Precinct 13, he used Charles Cyphers and like everything up until I think I want to say I, I could be wrong here, so. I'm wrong. Uh, Escape track me, but I think Escape from New York or Christine might have yep. been his last. Uh, which one? Escape, Escape, from, Escape New from New York was his last one. Yeah. Yeah. But and I think okay. I think he's that's right about the same number of times. I think uh, him and Kurt Russell are, are kind of uh, matched for the number of times. No, actually, um, Peter no, Jason was used, used a lot too. I mean, there's yeah. there's a few. He used oh, a lot yeah, there's definitely oh, absolutely. Um, but yeah, I think I think Carpenter is one of those it's one of those things where I got into Carpenter films when they used to show them on like the ABC Monday Night Movie or whatever when I was a kid. So I remember I saw Halloween that way, I saw The Thing that way. I did it for television, obviously, um, and um, The Fog. Um, but he's one of those he's one of those guys where he's just he's 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 a mainstay. Like he's he's been in the game for a long, long time, and you know he's seen his share of uh, of uh, you know. Um, commercial hits and and as well as as ones that didn't do so well, but have gotten a huge cult following. And uh, so I, it's one of the one of the reasons why I want to talk. Uh, I wanted to talk about him uh, on, on one of the episodes is because he's he's had an interesting career. Um, you know, he he had a really good um, a series of commercial hits in the '80s, and then suddenly he kind of dropped off. Like he was still putting out movies in the '90s, but his commercial success started to fade, and it was more along the lines of like hit and miss kind of cult type movies. Um, but, uh, so let's see, um, I guess we should talk about, I I guess, oh, go ahead. (laughs) Go ahead. I just want to throw out, um, I, uh, he inspired a column I wrote in the, the, I went to, I was a student at Christopher Newport and, um, I became the arts entertainment editor my senior year in 1995. And, um, we were trying to come up with a new article, a new weekly article, which turned out to be what. I named the video alternative, and my and my first one was to you get these movies that come out, and then what else could you watch that could be comparable? And it was I think it was when In the Mouth of Madness or Village of the Dan came out, and my first one was Take a Stay Out of John Carpenter for people who might not have been familiar with his works in the mid '90s. Sure. So he started uh, my my foray into kind of some editorial journalism and writing weekly column, but. I agree with nice. you. He had a lot of great stuff early on, and then his, his later stuff just kind of the fade. It's like some stuff was good, and some stuff I wanted to like it better than it than I thought it turned out. But just a brilliant all around guy to to write, direct, cast, and make your own music is just incredible. And he's got some unforgettable themes. Oh, absolutely! The the man's a a, a renaissance man. If anything, I mean, the music he's done movies. Like he, he pretty much does it all. Um, so I guess <laughs> yeah, actually, actually, right now he's actually on tour, um, showcasing um, his musical scores. Yes, yes really? he is. Yes. Yep. Yeah, he's even got a, there's a there's a there's a special um, uh, set out right now that's basically like the uh, like the um, lesser known scores or, or basically, but it's a compilation of a lot of the work that he's done or most of the work that he's done over, um, over the entire career. Um, I it's which I haven't had a chance to pick up yet. Yeah, actually, you're right. It's exactly what it's called. Thank you. 
Um, so I, I, as far as his commercial success versus his cult status, why do you think, I mean, just put it out there, anybody have any ideas as to why they think maybe, you know, his commercial success kind of ended in the 80s or, or you know, or, or how, um, why he's managed to maintain a cult status despite the fact that his commercial success went down? Um, we can probably talk about that for a little bit and, and see where that goes. Well, I'll, I'll just say, um, I'll just throw this out there that uh, if you notice, like, his career track, um, he started with, like, an independent film with Assault Thir- uh, sure. Precinct 13. Then he did um, Halloween right after, which is still an independent film. Then he did Elvis uh, with Kurt Russell, which was, like, a TV movie. Um, and I think right. he did, a, you know, he did, like, Someone's Watching Me, which is a TV movie, and he's done a few other ones. But uh, then... Uh, later he did. Uh, I think, I think his next like, um, was it uh, like the fog was um, independent and um, and then like Escape from New York might have been a little bit more studio. Um, so I mm-hmm. think he just kind of he's been kind of doing altering from both, alternating from both, uh, you know, one or the other, and um, for a little bit. And if you notice, like, it's more commercial stuff nowadays, like Ghosts of Mars or, uh, sure. you know, Vampires or, um, uh, you know, things like that, they are they are probably his, like, least watched kind of movies. And I think that's just because, you know, I, I don't know, it's just the time, I guess. You know, it's just not – we can get into yeah, that I, later, I guess. <laughs> I, 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 think, I think I agree. Uh, I think part of the reason was that I think um, – the times changed too, because there was a lot of the '80s had a lot of uh, successes and a lot of different type of movie genres and stuff that just didn't quite cut it. When it went, we went into the '90s, our tastes changed, our mentality changed, politics changed, and I think the, the the films that came out of the '90s reflected that. And I think John Carpenter was one of those people where he had a really perfect thing going on in the '80s. You know, like his movies were just hitting the right uh, niche for everybody that wanted to see them. I mean, like he, you know, I mean, even as far as like the late. 70s, you know, with Halloween, you know, basically helping create the the slasher genre. Like he was doing some really important work, and then I think like by the time the 90s rolled around, we already got to the point where people were kind of going getting sick of the standard type of films, uh, like horror movies and stuff. And so we they started deconstructing them like with Scream and everything. And I think Carpenter kind of got caught up in that because he's, I think part of it was just the fact that you know he's such a an eccentric like type of artist. Like he has a very specific, like he likes to mix genres. Like he likes to do like a cowboy sci-fi movie. You know, he likes to do all these weird things. And I think, I don't think everybody was, was really able to tie into that. And I think that's why his cult status has remained because all of the people that kind of get him just still love his stuff regardless. And then the wide, you know, the mainstream just kind of like, well, I don't, this guy, what, what is this guy doing? Like the nineties kind of changed everything. So I, that's just my opinion as to why I think his commercial success kind of faded when the eighties went out was just, because just uh, mentality changed and the and the mainstream just didn't they they couldn't latch on like the like his fans could, and so you know this, there was just kind of a tonal shift in in the way uh, in the type of success that he saw. Yeah, that um I th- I remember seeing that happen with I didn't get into John Liu. I mean we talked about another guy another time, but he had he had a lot of commercial success in Hong Kong, and then when he came over to the states, his movie just didn't have the same punch. So. I'm wondering if that transition right. from an independent studio to studios coming in saying, well, we know how to make you better. Sure. That actually a good point, too, because that ties into it as well, because um, 
Memoirs of an Invisible Man is a prime example. That was one of the first movies he did in the 90s, and uh, it was a commercial failure. And part of that was because of the fact that at that point he had become such a hot commodity. And But the problem was is the studios wanted to tell him how to make a movie. And, so, and he was already coming into a film that was supposed to be for another – more mainstream director anyway. So you have this guy who has, who works in a very like narrow niche, you know, trying to do a broader type of film and it just wasn't a good mm-hmm. fit. And so I think that was the beginning of the, of the downward spiral. So I think you really, I think you make a good point on that one. I am. Um, I remember hearing, I remember hearing an interview with him um, where he was discussing like interference with the uh, writers too. Uh, there's sure. a writer that, sure. um, uh, was bothering Tim Cottrell on set of um, uh, Big Trouble in Little China, and uh, you know, and things like that. And just she was just telling John, like, get this guy away from me. He's, he's you know what I mean? <laughs> and like right, people right. are just kind of coming in and telling telling him what to do and telling other people what to do. And I think when he does his independent films, more or less, you know, it's like he has more creative control. And when he has more creative control he can kind of um, take over the project and make sure that it's John Carpenter's project like he has on his, like everything is John Carpenter's whatever, you know. Except for memoirs Um, because he really didn't feel like he had a real controlling grasp on that film, so he didn't title it with John Carpenter. It's Um, funny, though. I I enjoyed that movie. It had a lot of good stuff in it. And um, one of the things that was funny was I just had this, it's almost funny that his movies kind of started going downhill and so did Chevy Chase. That's true. It's true. I don't know if they're related, but they definitely do have a similar trajectory. Yeah, I, um, I, I was a... I, oh, go ahead. No, well, I was just going to say, I, I want you guys, uh, at some point, if you guys ever get a chance to, read a book by William Goldman. It's called Which Lie Did I Tell? Um, it's a amazing book on, uh, like, it's like More Adventures of the Screen Trade or whatever. But it talks mm-hmm. about, they have a bit about memoirs of an invisible man, because William Goldman actually wrote that the original draft for that, and uh, originally it was That's, packaged uh, as Princess Bride William Golden, Goldman, right? yeah, Princess Bride and Misery's, uh, yeah. uh, you know, uh, William Goldman. And he also did, um, so he, he was also, like, producing or uh, writing it, I mean, he wrote it, and it was packaged with um, a director, like, that was part of their deal. Right, and the director mm-hmm. was it was a director and actor, so it was all one three package. They all like were the same agency and everything, CAA, uh, sure. I believe. And um, they all basically, what ended up happening is William Goldman was set up to write it, Ivan Reitman was set to direct it, and Chevy Chase right. was set to star in it. And then Chevy Chase said, "Well, I want to explore the invisibility of or the no, I want to explore the." Uh, the depression of invisibility or something like that. And, uh, you know, and how low the loneliness of it and stuff like that. And he wanted to be a real actor, you know, problem is Chevy Chase is, you know, is the na 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 guy from Caddyshack. He is not, he's not to me, he's not a, you know, a a real actor, you know, like a dramatic actor. I I think part of, I think part of the problem there was that, a lot of those comedic actors were doing that jump right around that time. You had Tom Hanks was jumping over to, to more dramatic films, Robin Williams jumping over. And I think Chevy wanted to get on that train. Unfortunately, it just didn't work for him. Um, mm-hmm. And then, and then 
you're you're left with a movie that's totally uh, totally uneven because the the balance between horror or between uh, um, drama and comedy is very uneven and it's it's all over the place. Uh, I like the movie, okay, but it definitely you can definitely see where the movie tries to be funny at one moment but then tries to be heavy the next, and it just it doesn't really line up very well. It's a very uneven film. Well, that um the the way that movie ended, I was just thinking about that. And that's just what I loved about one of the big things growing up is like you, John Carpenter's trademark is like, is it over? You know, it's like right. this movie doesn't really end. It's always over. Left hanging. Yeah, that's, well, see, that's it, except, the... except Escape from New York, uh, that ending had the best, like, that's over ending, you know? <laughs> like, right. he, he ended it. Uh, I, I think I, I told Donnie earlier. I'm not a huge fan of Escape from New York. I, I rewatched it, and uh, it's it just and I, and I it, it doesn't. For that. Yeah, I know. Uh, I mean, whatever. I you know, you know, yeah, it's all good. Um, but uh, that movie does have one of the best endings in all the John Carpenter movies I've seen. Uh, just, sure. You know the way it ended, but. Uh, you know, just, I, I don't know. I'm weird. Dude. I'm weird. I don't know. I, I just think Snake Plissken was kind of boring, honestly. Um, as as far as like, I, I like I, I prefer Jack Burton over uh, Snake Plissken well, any day. And to be fair, that's that's part of the, uh, and this actually helps me transition over to one of the other, uh, things I wanted to talk about too is like his filmmaking styles and his techniques. He's very yeah. much into the long form storytelling. He, you know, there's. A lot of his movies, I've had, I've heard the same complaints about a lot of his movies across the board. I've heard people say that Halloween is too uh, long and, 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 and has long stretches of boringness. I've heard people say that about The Fog. I've heard people say that about Escape from New York. So it's just one of those things where he he has a very specific uh, style of storytelling, and he really, you know, he likes to linger. He likes to, you know, really kind of just do the long-form storytelling. And so, and, and sometimes that it doesn't always work for a lot of people. Some people want a little more mm-hmm. fast paced than everything. Whereas he likes to linger a little bit longer, you know? Um, cause I, I, cause I, I've heard that complaint about Halloween and, and, and the fog so many times. And like, I get it. It's just, for me, it's, I don't, I don't mind the pacing of his films. I, I, I like the slow mm-hmm. burn. I like the, the build up, you know, to what's going on. So, but, uh, and you also get to but, care for the character. I get to know the characters a bit better instead of just going right into a, a, a meat grinder of a film. It's like, oh, I actually care about Jamie Lee Curtis. Oh, this Donald Parsons guy is really interesting. Right, you know, right, yeah. In New York, or I want to know more about these people, and most of the time they wind up dying, right. but that's really pretty good writing. Yeah. Yeah. Even even if you look at well, I guess Big Trouble in Little China is probably one of the few films where it actually kind of jumps into the action quite quickly. I mean, because pretty much from yeah. the beginning, you know, once he once he follows Wang back to the you know to the restaurant and everything, they they've already gotten into a, a mess, you know. So it's you know there's already stuff going on. So but most of the time, like even when they live, they live takes a takes a while in that first act to get anywhere. It's basically just mm-hmm. watching Rowdy Rowdy Piper like walk around and talk to people for for like a good like 15 minutes and then you finally get into the nitty-gritty where he discovers those glasses and then it goes from there. But I don't know. I'm, I'm Actually that like took the, a half hour. I timed it. It was a half was it? hour was it really? and they found the glass. The the glasses and that really annoyed me because I was like, where are the glasses? Like, um, you know, like I thought this sure. movie was about him finding glasses on the ground. And so, you know, it, it took about a half hour. Then he finds the glasses. And then it's another hour. 
Like it's only, it's one of the shortest um, <laughs> of his movies. And it's like, sure. then it starts to get like pick up. And I mean, half that movie is that fight scene, literally, you know, like, oh my oh, God. Yeah. So Sierra, you said you watched They Live, yeah. right? Like, what do you think yeah. of that fight scene between Keith David and uh, Roddy, Roddy, Roddy Piper? Like, that oh, scene I thought was it was insane. Insane. That, that scene, yeah, I love that scene. That was incredible. <laughs> that it's, scene, uh, it's one of my favorite. It's legendary. <laughs> like people like, parodied who, that. Who would have thought know? you could take a fight scene and stretch it out to like twenty minutes? Like that's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> but he does it. And, and, and I, I'm entertained. Especially like, overwearing gun Oh yeah, yeah, overwearing exactly. Like just two guys scrapping in a back alley, throwing each other in the dumpsters over a pair of glasses. But he makes it work. Like it's just yeah. Uh, how many times is that? How many times they kicking each other in the balls? <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Neither one of them are having children any time soon after that. I mean, like, that all is real. I don't know. And you know. Uh, it's it's like a game of Rochambeau gone sour. It's crazy. Um, I had heard that uh, uh, Kurt Russell was originally uh, thought of for for the role. Of that um, there was two reasons like that he turned it down. Uh, one reason might have been because uh, well, a he's not the he isn't the build that he was looking for or whatever. So he sure. he wasn't exactly what Carpenter was thinking for for that role. However, also uh, another reason why is because Kurt Russell is very one. I don't know which way he is like, but John Carpenter and him are very different in political opinions, and uh, sure. that was definitely a political um, movie. Oh, absolutely! You know, like one side. Oh my goodness, was it ever? <laughs> so, which, uh, which to be fair, a, a, a lot of uh, John Carpenter's films have some sort of. Uh, I wouldn't say political, but they do have they. He's not like a social commentary commentarian like uh, like George Romero or something, but he definitely has a message in in almost all of his films of some sort. Um, but yeah, I think They Live is the one that's the most like in your face about it. Like you know, mm-hmm. and I can understand that. Like they're they're po- I can understand why the politics would would keep uh, Kurt Russell off a film like that, uh, especially you know considering just what, <laughs> just how in your face that is. Um, mm-hmm. But, One of my uh, favorite um, things about oh, what's that? About character development was that I never paid attention. I was just so engrossed in the thing, the story, the people, and everything else. That I didn't pay attention to one thing until I listened to the commentary with John Carpenter, Kurt Russell, where he said there was no comic relief, dude. Like there was no Rob Schneider running around to break the tension. Oh, I mean, the guy on drugs, I mean, he was whacked out of his head, but his stuff was just coming out. Like, one of the greatest quotes of all time was, like, when the head sprouted legs, and he's like, you've got to be freaking kidding. I mean, that stuff's funny, but it's like people in a dire situation. And just the way they acted it, and there was no, like, person going, hey, how about this? Boy, you're funny, Jack. You know, it was just kind of like, damn, they're in this situation they're making the best of it and you know I just thought it was brilliant how they did it yeah I, I, it's, I agree it's, it's a, oh, go, go ahead Donnie oh no I was just gonna say yeah it's, it's a brilliant uh, it's a brilliant film and, it, and it's, there's some really great moments in it I totally agree well I, I totally agree too but like my, my thing is like 
uh, I can watch the thing like over and over again because that movie yeah. is so mm-hmm. just good. Um, but uh, you know, and you're engrossed even though there isn't a comic relief. Um, there's barely any comic relief in Escape from New York, and that movie is just brutally. Uh, I don't know. Like, I don't really know what to how I'm describing it because I, like, I'd seen it years ago and I remember liking sure. it, and but then I rewatch it now, and maybe it's just the the fact that I've watched so many movies and especially John Carpenter films that I just. I, we, my friend and I looked at each other and were like, this is the most overrated John Carpenter film of all time. Um, it, it just, it, it starts out with, with, with Snick Plitzkin, you know, finding out he's, it's like, it's like a video game, you know, and, you know, sure. and everything. And the problem is, it's just like a video game. There's no, like, you know, I don't know. There's no fun to it exactly. Like with the, with like character interactions sure. and stuff. It's just kind of like, Hey, I'm going to go save the president. I'm going to say this line and his lines aren't even witty or anything. It's like, call me snake, call me Pliskin, you know? Right. And they're not well, that funny. Like, I don't know. Well, to be, to be fair, Escape from New York came out right before the big action films. Cause that was like 81. And so the big action films yeah. didn't start really coming into play until a couple years later. And that's when we had when Arnold Schwarzenegger came on the scene. That's when pithy one-liners started to become the the the, the norm. But before that, mm-hmm. uh, any type of action film really didn't do that as much. So it's that's kind of why you don't see as much of that in Escape from New York because it it, it kind of came out before that big blow up of, of of funny one-liners. You know, as you're taking out a dude while you know uh, yep. in an action sequence. So, I agree with you, Don. I agree with you, Don. Coming out of the the 70s, most films that were in the 70s were slow-paced. They didn't have, a, mm-hmm. like, most of the Dirty Harry movies were very good, yep. but there wasn't a whole lot of action. And just, right. like you were saying, just in that transition into the 80s, just start to get a bit more, um, if you want to use a better word, colorful or just more fast-paced. But, um, oh, yeah. So once you got into the Reagan era, it was all about excess. It's like, how many big explosions and how big and beautiful and colorful can we make it? How big and over the top? Because we were all about uh, consumption and, and, and over excess and stuff. And so the the movies, you know, probably around 82, 83 is when they really started to catch on in that regard. But, I mean, a lot of the stuff in the early 80s were still kind of products of the 70s. And so they still they did they, they did they have that more... Um, long-form storytelling where, like, like the Dirty Harry movies and stuff, where, where even the science fiction movies. I mean, if you look at stuff like Close Encounters, mm-hmm. there's nothing really exciting that happens in that movie. You know, there, it's, just, it's, it's just, you know, you're just watching this guy go along this route of, of, of in, in, in his life, you know, trying to figure out what this thing is. And, you know, it was just, it was just a different time. And so, I mean, I totally get people that if you if, – because you know, to be fair – Escape from New York isn't even in my top five. I like the movie a lot. It's it's it, it probably would be it's probably my top ten, but it's definitely not my top five. So I can understand you know people not really liking Escape from New York as much. And like I said, uh, Jonathan, if you you will probably like Escape from L.A. more. You're you're you you would probably enjoy L.A. more than you would New York if you gave that a, a watch. Uh, I would highly recommend it because you might actually enjoy that one more because it's really Escape from New York, but it's more over the top. It has it's it hits more of those action beats that you're looking for. Uh, more of the funny one-liners are in there. Um, that's probably the one that you will prefer over the two. Um, you know, so that's, you know, something to to, to, to think about. Um, and I need to give that one another viewing, too, because that one I had high hopes. 
lot of times I set my expectations up here and they were down here. So sure, sometimes sure. I need to set them for what they are. It's John Carpenter and Caruso running around doing crazy stuff, which is what I'm paying for. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> All right, I just want to mention real quick that uh, we, we we I posted, uh, we discussed John Carpenter this coming Monday on Twitter. I said, which, uh, the Horror Master, because that's what he's on um, Twitter as, uh, film, do you like the huh. most? And uh, I, they only give you four options for Twitter polls, you know. Um, so I put Halloween, The Thing, Escape from New York, other leaving comments, right? Um, so sure. Halloween uh, is at 43%. The Thing is at wow. 47%. 7% uh-huh. is Escape from New York. And 3% is other um, uh, out of 30 votes. So um, <laughs> this actually got more responses than Alfred Hitchcock one did. So um, just letting everybody know, uh, we're going to be doing it for every every week that we do the show. We're going to be posting a uh, poll, and you guys can go and vote on Twitter. So add us at Hollywood, which is uh, H-L-L-Y, uh, would uh Bullet BLVD uh, pod. Uh, and that's, you know, for Twitter. Uh, add us on there, follow us on there, um, and let us know what you guys think of these films and what, um, you know, I, I think we had a couple comments too. Um, people seem, I don't think people like the fact that, um, okay, one person said Halloween was the best. Uh, there was a guy named Sam Cominello. I uh, said that. Um, I'm probably saying his name completely wrong. Um, Dylan Miles says, I mean, this seems to be an unfair question. The answer is obviously the thing. <laughs> that film is damn near perfect. So I will be reading uh, he's off, not wrong. Uh, your comments and no, everything. Hey, this seems to be where, a consensus for most people. Was that? Where, uh, where, do you guys, where, where do you guys think uh, Prince of Darkness would fall? I mean, I thought that movie was pretty scary. Prince of Darkness scary. You know what that is. <laughs> That is my number one I like, favorite. I talked to Donnie about it earlier, and that is yeah. my number one favorite. So I'm glad you brought it up because I'm going to bring it up before the show ended uh, completely. I, um, I I love Prince. I like Prince of Darkness a lot. Um, I, it's not. It's definitely. It's not my top five either. But I like it a lot. I think the problem I had was I saw that one probably like last year because I finally when uh, Scream Factory finally put it out on blue. It was one of the ones I hadn't. It was one because I've seen pretty much all of his movies, and that was one of the ones I hadn't. And so I finally picked up the Screen Factory Blu-ray last year and watched it, and uh, I liked it. Like, it, like I liked it. I enjoyed it. I again, it's got your standard uh, carpenter tropes, you know, tone, you know, the the, the, the use of camera angles and, and, and long lingering shots that he does. There's a lot of really great things about it. I think uh, it's not one of my favorites, mainly because I, it was, I don't know. I think I think part of it was my fault. I went in thinking it was going to be something else entirely. Uh, Prince of Darkness, the first thing I think of is like, oh, it's a vampire movie. And then I found it's kind of more, it's nothing like that at all. And so it's, it's one of the things where I need to rewatch the game in the right mindset, and it'll probably go up uh, a, a few points for me. But uh, for the most part, yeah, I was, you know, I liked it, but it was just not up there with the, with the other ones for me. The thing that yeah, I think the most, go ahead, Sima. go ahead, Sierra. No, I was going to say, um, you know, Alice Cooper was pretty creepy in it. You know? Oh hell yeah! yeah. Oh hell! He's, about he's one of the best parts. He's one yeah. Of the best parts. <laughs> he was he was wonderful in it, but uh, I don't know. What were you gonna say, Alfred? Oh, um, the parts I loved the 
creeped me out the most was the VHS videos from the future where you're trying to oh, yeah. the thing coming <laughs> through the portal and you're like, what in the hell? That that scared the crap out of me. <laughs> <laughs> it was so creepy. I I think most uh, people should do, if you're going to do a horror, like a sci-fi film and set in the future, like Escape from New York was set to be 1997, you know? Sure. And that was, you know, obviously, we don't know, and that was it, um, and uh, uh, Blade Runner, I think the original Blade Runner was supposed to be there you know, that, that year or something, like in 1997. 2019. And, was it? 2019 yeah. was Blade Runner. 2019, 2019 okay. So it's coming up, and I'm pretty sure it's not gonna, we're not going to look anything like that. But, like, I, sure. I say set a freaking movie in, like, the year 30-something because we're all not going to see that. We have no idea what the year 30-whatever is. Mm-hmm. And then it would be, like, really fun for people who, if they ever get to watch that movie, you know, that, you know, like, to sure. see what we thought the 30-30 would be, you know. Um, <laughs> I, it's just I think, always funny to see 2000 or 1990, and we're just like, that's nothing like what we're like. I think there's a couple now. reasons for that, too. There's a couple reasons for that, and and it also depends on when the movie came out too. There's a couple reasons for that though, and part of it's because, you know, back in the, in the like the 1960s, 70s, and 80s, the year 2000 seemed like it was so far away. Um, you know, we would we'd already done these really great accomplishments, and we really thought that our trajectory was was going to be a lot. Uh, we, we were on a, we were on a fast track to these huge, big, amazing things, and the 2000 was the future. Like it was a huge thing we have more realistic sensibilities now than we did back then. Again, especially going in the Reagan era, we had these over lofty kind of ideals, you know, thought we were going to be doing more than we, than we did. But nowadays, you know, we we're more realistic about the way and it, and, but I think, and I think, and that's part of the reason why I don't, we don't try to do that as much as we used to, but at the same time, there's still certain years that people like, they love the idea of playing with the fact that, Hey, what if, you know, an alternate future, or, you know, what if, what if, what if 10 years from now everything was kind of cool? People kind of like to explore that space as well. So, I mean, yeah, I don't think it's ever really going to go away, but yeah, definitely, I understand where you're coming from on that. Like, it, it was so weird because, like, Transformers, the movie was, like, set in the, the late 90s, and then, like, we were, like, like we get to, the, like, the late 90s, we're like, yeah, there's no, no, there's, there's no robots. What's going on, man? <laughs> <laughs> One good thing about Prince of Darkness was he, it came off of Big Trouble in Little China, and he usually kind of incorporates works with some people again. So it was good. It was That's really true. good to see um, the lead characters or the supporting characters from um, Big Trouble in Little China in that movie. And um, oh yeah, it was great. It's funny because I watched Big Trouble in Little China again. Like I hadn't watched it in a little bit, and I, I rewatched it just recently. And then I watched Prince of Darkness at, right after, like the day after. Perfect, because I was like, "Wang." You know, like, yes. <laughs> there's everybody like from the uh, from the movie. Um, yeah, people probably I will, thought I was insane yelling "Wang" randomly. Um, out. <laughs> I I will say I will say this. I I do love the cast for Prince of Darkness. It is a great cast. Like Alice Cooper is amazing. I think mean, you you nailed it, Sierra. Like his 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 whole his work in that film so creepy and effective. Like they they made good use of Alice Cooper in that movie. I forgot he was in it. <laughs> But now that you, as soon as you brought it up, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right, because he was a creepy homeless dude. Yeah, he was. Mm-hmm. Oh, my goodness. He, he sold it, too. And then Donald Pleasance was good as usual. He was excellent. Oh, yeah. 
Oh, absolutely. Uh, actually, you know, it's funny that you say that because uh, after rewatching Escape from New York, I was really disappointed by Donald Pleasance in that that mm-hmm. movie. Um, I thought he was uh, his character just they didn't give him enough to to work with. Sure. But in Prince of Darkness, they give him a lot to work with and stuff, and I really enjoyed him in that. But um, I, I feel like I'm just like this whole episode. I'm bashing the Escape from New York. It's really not that bad. People watch the movie. <laughs> You know, whatever. It's just I, you know, I, I think I, I built it up to be like, you know, something that I was so excited for, you know, and I, I, I sure. I'll enjoy. It. I'll probably watch it again, and I will listen to the commentaries because Kurt Russell and John Carpenter have the best commentaries ever. So, oh, they do. Um, they, so they totally do. Yeah. So I will. I will enjoy it, but. It, you know, and I'll learn things from it, you know, from them talking. Sure. But I don't – it's just not a movie that I think is going to be, like, on my top. I, I don't I don't honestly don't totally even know it. if it's on my top ten, uh, you know, John Carpenter films. It's not well, like that. Well, oh, I was going to say about um, casting, um, about that. It was Carpenter, he, he liked to use – or likes to use um, that that I appreciate was older actors that weren't washed up, but he, sure. he brought in like Ernest Borgnine and Lee Van Cleef for Escape from New York, and then he brought in Wilbur Brimley, yeah, yeah. the Oatmeal Man for the thing, and and I just really liked mm-hmm. that he would bring in old ones and bring in new ones, but he some people he would work again with, but and Donald Pleasance of course, sure. um, but he's got yeah. a lot of old, like old school actors who would, um, and then like I was saying before. Tom Atkins, who just plays this tough guy. Kind oh, Tom. Of Tom Atkins, the, the guy who always seems to get with girls half his age. Yes. <laughs> Jamie Lee Curtis. <laughs> Jamie Lee Curtis. <laughs> and the then in Halloween 3, in Halloween oh, 3, my he's, he's with the daughter of the of the guy that dies, that gets killed, and like she's half his age. It was like, what is going on, dude? <laughs> That's funny. I never thought of that. That's hilarious. He just well, like, yeah. they, they keep. It's just funny. They keep giving him these these women half his age to 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 be his romantic interest, and I'm like, well, no. Tom Atkins is great and all, but no, no, there's no way. Yeah. I, I was just gonna say, going back to Prince of Darkness, I liked how at the end you never knew if the devil was coming. Right. Right. I like how they he kind of did that, so it keeps you questioning. Yeah. Absolutely. It's funny because, like, of all the movies that got a sequel, uh, well, I guess technically the thing got, like, a, a remake. But uh, yeah, was like, uh, we, we don't talk about that. But um, Halloween yeah. got, got the sequels. You know, that became, like, the franchise right. kind of thing. And yeah. Carpenter has been stated, you know, basically, oh, and Escape from L.A. also. But he really doesn't like sequels. You know, he doesn't. No, no, he doesn't. You know, he's. Yeah, and he didn't even think Halloween needed a sequel, but I mean, money, 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 as well. Right. You know, all right. That's the to. only. That's the only reason why we got a Halloween two is because he did Halloween two because he hoped it would help him make other movies that he wanted to make. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's funny you should mention the the bleakness of Prince of Darkness, Sierra, because that's actually one of the, it, he Carpenter considers the thing Prince of Darkness and In the Mouth of Madness as part of his Apocalypse trilogy. Because all three films uh-huh. have bleak endings, um, yeah, which is an interesting thing. Yeah, I love thing the Mouth of Madness. I love that movie. Um, that wouldn't be my top five, but that would definitely be on my top ten list. 
I think if I, if I had to rate all the my top five, I've thought about this today. Um, number one would be uh, Prison of Darkness. Number two would be uh, The Thing. Uh, number three would be Halloween. Number four would be Big Trouble Little China. Five, They Live. And then honorable mentions were In the Mouth of Madness. Uh, was it uh, Christine, which we didn't talk about yet, I don't think. Kind of. Like we, you know, rushed over a little bit. Crossed over. I know. Like, <laughs> there's so much that you could talk about on his film. I know, right? And then, um, you know, there's so many. And then The Fog, obviously. So, um, but yeah, and there's so many films that he's done. Yeah. Um, uh, how much time do we have? I think we've only got, what, yeah, like five minutes left? Six more minutes, yeah. Something like that. I'm so, just going to say that, you know, John Carpenter, he's he's an icon. I mean, how many directors can you say years from now that you're going to remember? But he's definitely going to be one that you remember. He he influenced he influenced pretty much every genre that he that he had a hand in. Like the thing was was a, was an influence a lot of sci-fi movies. Um, Halloween was influenced the slasher genre. Um, you know, there's even people take things from Big Trouble in Little China because of the Western aspect of it. You know, it's 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 amazing. Like the man is just an influence, and and, and even his scores, like his musical scores too. The man oh, yeah. knows how to he knows how to man a synthesizer. Like that man knows how to his way around a synthesizer like no one's business. I love his synthesizer scores. I love them to death. The best. Mm-hmm. I love synthesizer anyway. I'm a huge fan of 80s synthesizer music anyway, so that goes right into my, like, I, it's, I, it's, my, it's like perfect for me. So I spent a long time looking for the audio cassette for the soundtrack of the thing because I thought he composed it and it was Ennio Morricone. Ennio Morricone, yeah. And I was yeah, like, which, I kept seeing the Ennio, and I was like, now it's not... I was confusing myself, and I was like, "Oh shoot, that's it." And yeah, it's it's one of the few times he didn't score his own flick. Um, there are a few times that's one of them. Um, I guess let's let's try let's wrap this up a little bit. Um, uh, Jonathan, you already gave us your top five. Um, uh, Sierra, what's what's your top five, John Carpenter? If you can do a top five. Um, definitely Halloween's up there. Halloween, I like the thing. Big Trouble in Little China. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of that one. Um, yeah, that's great. Yeah. And, they Live, uh, you were saying earlier. And... What was oh, that? Yeah, They Live. Oh, yeah, They Live. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I love that. Um, and and, and it's just, it's been, I would say The Thing is up there pretty much, too. I mean, I like all his movies. It's hard to rate them. Sure, I get it. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Alfred, what about you? I would say my top five would be The Thing... Um. Uh, let's see. It's gonna be hard to put them in order, but I'd say my top five will consist of the thing. Um, they live, Prince of Darkness, Big Trouble in Little China, and The Fog. And um, nice. Escape from New York would probably be an honor. Would definitely be an honorable mention. Oh, I didn't replace it with something else, but those are mine because I really like um yeah. Prince of Darkness scared the crap out of me, but it's just such a good movie. I mean, to, for something to scare you, and you, I mean, one of my friends literally sure. jumped in, in the last scene, but and of course Halloween. How it, I would move oh, yeah. um, um, Halloween, Big Trouble, The Thing, um, <laughs> They Live in the Darkness, probably be it. And then we've got like right. three minutes, almost two minutes left. Just All right, you know. Let me let me throw my top five in there real quick, and then uh, and then we'll wrap it up. 
Um, my top five is the my, – my number one favorite is The Fog. I, I think for me it's the perfect ghost story, and I love ghost stories. I think it's atmosphere. It's great. I love that movie to death. The Thing is number two for me. Number three is Big Trouble in Little China because that movie is just such, so much fun. In the Mouth of Madness is my number four because that movie, I just it haunts me. It is so disturbing um, and unsettling. And number five would be Halloween. And the only reason why it's so low is just because I'm not a big slasher fan per se, but Halloween just it, it set a lot of trends. And so that's why it's my number five because I love watching it every year. So because of that, it gets my number five. So, And I awesome. think with that, uh, we'll go ahead and wrap the show up. Um, Next week, I will not be available for the show. I, I gotta be. I'm heading up to PA to visit my folks, um, but the show will be going on. Uh, Moody will be in charge. Um, I'm leaving him the keys. Um, they're really his keys anyway. Um, and we are doing. Uh, what were we doing again? Are you doing? Uh, doing. I'm doing Adam Sandler next week. So Adam Sandler. Um, Adam Sandler next week. And uh, Sierra, you're so still you're that, good for next week, right? Yes. As my producer. All right. We'll we'll talk about it today, uh later today. So um uh but yeah, later tonight we'll talk about it. But uh we do gotta wrap it, it's gonna cut us off. <laughs> so All right. Um all right. well, thank you guys, you guys thank you so in. much. Thank you all for joining us. All right, everybody <laughs> have a great night. All right, all right. Bye. Thanks Bye. again, Jonathan. Yes. Bye guys. All right, bye. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.